be in verses 13 through 16 today, uh, verses 13 through 16 in Hebrews chapter 11. This is the word of the Lord. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For the people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Who are you? Who are you? It's a question that we either are asked or we might ask ourselves uh, through the course of our life. Who are you? And this question could be answered in different ways. I, I can stand here before you and say, uh, I'm a son of Doug and Lois Levengood. I am a brother of Albert and Pam and Laura. I am a father uh, to Ashton and Gracie and Josiah. I am a husband to Luann. I am a pastor. All these things begin to answer the question of who I am. And for each of us, if we were to ask that question, uh, we, we might, we would certainly, I should say, have different answers. But even that begins only to touch the surface of who we are. Who we are changes based upon what we're doing. It changes based upon our, the, the time of life we're in. Sometimes, or, or, or I should say, the reality is that who we are uh, is constantly on display. Uh, we see this in a very practical sense through our professions. So uh, if you call yourself a chef... What do you do? You cook. If you call yourself a chef, that is your profession, I should see you cooking. If you call yourself an electrician, then what do you do? You work on electrical things. If you call yourself a doctor, you treat patients. Uh, who you are is on display through what you do. And if we don't do the things that we claim to do, what does it say? If, if I stood before you this evening, and I, or this morning I should say, and said to you, well, I'm a doctor. And you said, well, what kind of doctor? And I said, a medical doctor. And you said, well, where do you practice? And you're like, well, I don't. Well, where did you get your degree from? I don't have one. Eventually, after a series of questions, all which responded in the negative, what would you begin to say about me? You're not a doctor. <laughs> You just say you are a doctor, but your life does not display what you say, what you claim to be. The same is true of our faith. If we say we have faith, but it's not something that we do, then what does that make our faith? Are we living our life on display? Are we living our faith in a way that it has its eyes focused on something? The Apostle Paul has, or excuse me, not the Apostle Paul. Oh, yes. The Apostle Paul has 
often pointed to the example of Abraham, uh, as well as our writer here today. Abraham, throughout Galatians, through portions of uh, Romans, talks about Abraham and his faith. And in Romans 11, 12, 4, 11, and 12, he says this. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as the seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This whole passage, and we're not going to unpack it in large, is not about circumcision, it's about faith. It's about the righteousness of Abraham and how he received that righteousness, that his standing, that his being made right before God, that who he was, righteous Abraham, was given to him, was credited to him by God. If we, like Abraham, have faith, then we are to walk in the steps of faith. That's the reality when we talk about circumcision and uncircumcision here. Uh, it wasn't the circumcision that saved Abraham. It wasn't the doing that saved him. It was the sign of what was already true. It was him walking in faith. And the Christian life is a pilgrimage with a destination that is not here. A destination that is not in this life but in the life to come. This is what we're going to look at this morning as we look at our test, text. And we're going to see three things. The end of faith, the leaving of faith, and the seeking of faith. The end of faith, the leaving of faith, and the seeking of faith. Let us begin by looking at the end of faith. We see in our text, starting in verse 13, that, the, that faith is one of pilgrimage. These all died in faith. Uh, the these here... Uh, commentators who is being talked about is it everybody proceeding or is it simply abraham sarah uh, i don't think it matters so much the there are convincing arguments either way uh, but it's talking about those who have gone before be abraham and sarah all of them who have died in faith did not receive having not received it says the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. If you take this passage and you were just to pluck it out and show it to someone, particularly someone who has no faith, this passage is one that seems very tragic. It is the dangling carrot stick in front of somebody that says, if you get to this carrot stick, you will have happiness. And the problem with the carrot stick, the carrot on a stick out in front of you is what? You never get to it, right? And someone looking at this text might say, well, your faith is in essence this. There's something that's out before you that you're running towards that you never get to get. That seems terrible. There it is. Told you, I warned you. <laughs> that seems terrible. You spend your whole life longing for something that you only get to see from afar. It's as if, let's just pretend for a second in the, in the land of make-believe, that there was some uh, storefront in downtown Pell City, and behind the glass uh, was 
just put in that behind the glass the thing you want the most. So, so let's just say for, for your pastor, I look behind this glass and there's just every Lego set ever, right? And, and, and someone says to me, well, those are yours. You just get to look at them through the glass, though. Yeah, and you're like, well, I, the what? What's the fun in that? I want to go in and play with the Legos. He says, no, not, not yet. You, this is what will be yours. And now that's a silly example, right? But, but the reality is, is that as we look at our faith, our faith is in something that is still coming. That Christ is preparing a place for us. So that Paul can say in Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I.e. Legos. Uh, Jesus says this similar, similarly in Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy or where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus' point is this. Everything on this earth is temporary. Everything that we put hope and trust in is fleeting and going away that is on this earth. So, hit the, hit the monitor. Hit the monitor off. If there's a monitor button. think that'll fix it because it was coming out of there specifically um and now i've completely lost my train of thought everything on this earth is rusting and fading away it it will not last it is temporary Uh, this is the nature of things how often do you have to buy a new thing because the thing that you had is worn out It, it happens um it happens to our bodies uh several of us here recently i think uh um Stuart's got a new shoulder, uh, Alan's got a new knee, and, and we got a new hip over here with Dave. Because the old thing is worn out. It needed something new. And of course, even that's a temporary fix, right? Eventually that'll wear out too, if you were to live long enough. It confronts the view of our day. Even many churches offer a self-help Jesus. Let me give you the thing that will get you through for the time being. We forget that the Christian life is not one of happiness. It's one of times of persecution. It means living as aliens on a pilgrimage. So we can't simply fit in. It means we have to deny ourselves as we live our faith on display. We have to pick up our cross. And with this comes struggles as we share in the sufferings of Christ. Paul never in his writing or anywhere else in the New Testament or anywhere else in the whole of Scripture says that the Christian life, the life of of being one of God's children is one of pure happiness. It's not what it is. We can't live however we want. Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians when he says this, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beast at Ephesus or if the dead cow raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And the point is this. What what is Paul saying in that? Uh, This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, uh, if there is nothing else than this world, 
then do whatever you want. Make yourself happy. Because that's the reality. If there's nothing to look forward to, if there's no God in heaven, if there's nothing uh, that we must be uh, giving account to, then do what you want. Eat, live, and be happy. For tomorrow you die and nothing matters. But this is not the reality for the Christian. Even at the end of life, even though at the end of life, even up to the last moment, we will not have received all of the blessings that we will receive. We are filled with joy for we know what lies ahead. That we have something far better than what is here. They saw this. They greeted these blessings from afar. They acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are looking for fulfillment in the things of this earth, it'll leave you wanting. It'll leave you unsatisfied. We cannot do this. We must greet and enjoy these things, even from afar, these things that are in the life to come. And this is why Paul from the jail in Philippians or from the jail writing to the Philippians can say this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is writing from prison to the Philippians and he doesn't know what the outcome will be. He, he may be killed because of his faith. And he says to live is Christ. To live is suffering and it is enduring for the sake of Christ as Christ did. To, to die is gain because when I die, suffering ceases. And that is far better. There was no certainty that he would be released. Later he wrote when he was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, knowing he was going to be killed for his faith, he says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, which the Lord of righteousness, which is the Lord of righteousness. He knew that he had a crown that was waiting for him because of the, the faith that he had in Christ. He knew where his hope was. He knew where his future was. He knew that death had no power over him. This is what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up because of what Christ has done. So death no longer has any power over us. This is who we are. He continues in, in, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you know him, this is who you are. You have victory in Jesus. That is what is ours. That's who we are. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. The grave, what is it? It is the bath in which the Christian put on the clothes or puts on the clothes of his body to have them washed and cleansed. Death, what is it? It is the waiting room where we robe ourselves for, for, for immortality. 
It is the place where the body, like Esther, bays itself in spices that it may be fit for the embrace of its Lord. Death is the gate of life. I will not fear to die. There is no fear in death for the believer because our eyes should be focused on that which is to come. What Jesus is doing and preparing for us. Abraham understood this. We looked at at last week the the death of Sarah. And Sarah, or or we looked at Sarah, but then Sarah eventually would die. And in, in death, Abraham finally did something. He went and he bought some land in Canaan so that he could bury his wife Sarah. And there was a Hittite man, Ephron, who, or I believe that's right, Ephron. Yeah, Ephron, who, as Abraham was buying the land, he said, no, you can have this land. Abraham was well-liked. They liked him. And, and, and Abraham said, no, I will own it. I will purchase it. It will be mine. Because in death, he understood something. In death, he gained possession of the promises of God. And he buried Sarah there. He gained, in death, he gains his inheritance. And the question is, for us, are we living in fear of this world? Are we living in fear of what this world can do to us? Do we fear illness? Do we fear poverty? Do we fear death? If we do, we need not fear these things. For Christ has secured a victory for us. He has conquered death. So that we can now live fearlessly. This world is not our home. This world can do nothing to us. It has no power over us so that we can live boldly, boldly, knowing that we can never lose that which is to come. We can't lose it. But we go on and see that faith, a faith that is leaving. Verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But they understood that they were exiles. But again, here we see an example through the example of Abraham. Uh, someone who Abraham was taken out of the land of his fathers. And he could have at times in his wanderings through Canaan looked back and say, remember when I had a land and a possession with my family and my fathers back there? What if I went back? I could, it could be easy to go back. But he didn't even seek the land which he came from. He focused his eyes Forward, And we see examples in scripture of, of those who look back. I think one of the great examples is Lot's wife, right? As they're leaving Sodom. And we've heard this story, right? And they, they're commanded, don't look back. Don't look back. And Lot's wife looks back, longing for that place. And she turns into a pillar of salt. The judgment is brought upon her for her unbelief and her, her longing for this place of sin. Or we can look at Egypt as they're wandering through the desert and they're complaining, oh, all we have is manna. Remember when we were in Egypt and we had meat? Let's go back to Egypt. What if we went back to Egypt? They looked back in their unbelief. 
through their actions, they showed where their faith was. And I think similarly, we have to ask ourselves, where are we focusing our our eyes? Are we looking back on our life saying things were easier then or things are better then? Or are they set on the city that is to come? Are we focused on the here and now? Or are we focused on eternity? We have to leave our former home. And if we refuse to, then we cannot move to the home that he has called us to. Jesus says this in Matthew 10. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is, Jesus is not saying here, hey, don't love your mom and dad. Don't love your children. Don't love your... He's not saying any of that. He's saying that I must come first in all things. First and always first. Are we so focused on the here and now, on who we've been, that we are not focused on Christ? We cannot look back on who we, are, who we were. And look, we all... If you were to sit here this morning and just take a moment and think about the course of your life, and, and, and we have different ranges of life here, right? Uh, from 9, 10 to 87, is that right? 85, sorry, I gave you two years. But when you look at your life, we all have things that come with our life, things that we've enjoyed, things that we've hurt, pains and sorrows and joys. But what are we focused on? Are we continued to focus on the old man? Or are we looking to the new man, to Christ? This world, again, is not our home because God is who he says he is. So any hurts or pains or sufferings or even joys or sorrow, whatever they may be, are nothing compared to Jesus. We cannot live for who we were or who we are or who we could be in this world. We have to live for the new creation, uh, to focus our eyes on that city, that city in which Abraham looked for, that city that had foundations. We have to have a faith that is leaving, but we also have to have a faith that is seeking something better. We look at this in verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Are we desiring a better country? Are our hearts focused on what is to come? There's one escapable escapable reality for us. Death is terrible. We know death is terrible. We see death around us. We see the pain it brings. But there's the, in this text, we see that death for us is a gateway into life. Uh, as First Peter says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Are we seeking and searching out that heavenly city? Are we seeking God? And there's this wonderful message to us here that as we seek God, as we see God, 
for who he is, as we long not for this world, but for the world that is to come. Verse 16 ends by saying this. Therefore, God is not ashamed, ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God, the creator of all things, the founder of all things, the one who holds all power in his hands, the one who knows every part of you, every sin, every blemish, every scar, every hurt, every pain, every joy, every good thing, every bad thing, is not ashamed to be your God. I look at my life, just my life, and I'm I'm sure you have your own things, and I look back and I see sin, and I believe there's much to be ashamed of. But God is not ashamed to be my God. Because he has reconciled us to himself through his son. So that we have something more to look forward to. That we get to call ourselves children of Abraham. That we are his God and he is our God and we are his people. Death is a tragic thing. But it's only a tragic thing for those who do not believe in, in God. The funeral for the unbeliever it can be a very hopeless thing. Because there's no hope except for in this poor and dying world. You talk about what they did and what they were, but there's no talk about what they are and what they will, they get, they are now. The end of life is the end of everything in the mind of the unbeliever. But for us, those who are in Christ, yes, we mourn. Abraham cried over the death of Sarah, but he also knew it wasn't the end. He also knew it was time for rejoicing, for longing anticipation, because she was now with her God. And he was looking forward to the world that is to come. So we get to sing songs of praise and songs of joy. As the journey of the the believer goes on. And we get to look forward to the day that we get to see them again. In the eternal home of our father. Rejoicing together as the people of God. This is the joy that we receive as Christians. That death has indeed been swallowed up. In the victory of Jesus Christ. That he has given us his righteousness. That he has made us right with God in heaven. We began this morning talking about that question. Who are you? Who are you? Are you a son? Are you a daughter? Are you a father? Are you a mother? Are you a worker? All of these things pale in comparison to who Christ is. And if you are in Christ, then the answer to that question changes radically. I am a child of the living God. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. I share in the inheritance of my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who you are. So you no longer sit here, if you are in him, you no longer sit here and say, I'm a sinner who is unworthy. No, that's who you were. 
Do you struggle in sin? Yes. Are you perfect yet? No. But your identity, if Christ is yours, if you have called upon his name, if you have come to faith and repentance in him, then that's who you are. God is not ashamed of you. And he is preparing for you a city. An eternity with him. But the opposite is also true. If you're not in him, then you are not his son. You are not his daughter. You are a sinner who is desperately in need of the grace of God. And here we find an offer. Come, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Hear the call of the gospel this morning. Come and see that it's all about Jesus. It's not about what you've done. It's not about who you are. It's about who he is. That in him you can be made new. That in him you can be transformed from death into glory. And then let us live for that kingdom that is to come. Understanding, yes, we have it here in part, but we don't have it in its fullness. By faith, by faith we receive this thing we not yet see. But we hope for with certainty because of who God is and what Christ says he has done. The end of faith is a far better world than we have now. It's a place with no pain, with no more misery, with no more sin. So we are to leave the old life behind. Not looking back, not even mentioning it. The old life is sin and death. We must seek the home that is to come. Our eternal home with our Father who is in heaven. Let us focus our eyes on him. Let us rest and trust in what he has done and what he isn't doing. Jesus is better. Better than what? So let us focus, focus our eyes on him. And the heaven that he is preparing for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the home that you were preparing. Would we not focus on this world? Would we not focus on who we were? But would we focus on who we are and who we will be in Christ? Lord, I pray for anyone in here this day who doesn't know this truth. Would you open their eyes to this wonderful truth? Would they know the hope and certainty that is found in you. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.